So I, <clears throat> I'm going to pick up where I have left off last. I'm still giving the bigger picture of what we're going to be talking about, which is Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. I am going to get there, but I just, I've, I've, it's just been in my heart to be able to, to, to show that, you know, how do I want to say it? There, so we, we have a tendency to pick up the Bible and we piecemeal it. I read a piece here, I read a piece there, I grab a piece over there. Oh, here's the, here's the proof text I was looking for. Uh, here's the promise that I know I can stand on. And we, we kind of do that. And there's, there's times, there's places for that. But the scriptures are unfolding a full story of what has taken place. They're not just you know, places to just run and grab something. Really get in the habit when you read the scriptures, just read it through. Holy Spirit will, will point things out to you, but just read it. Yeah. Um, and, and I tried, and it's, for me, it's a, it's, it's a little bit harder because oftentimes when I'm reading the scripture, I'm building a sermon. Right? So I'm, I'm studying and researching, but I'm, I'm going somewhere with that. And again, that has its time and place, and you know that's what we do. But I, ha I also maintain a discipline where I just read it. I just, go, you know, somewhere I just read it, not starting out to to predetermine what I'm going to discover. I just want to discover what the Spirit unfolds as I read it. And some days He doesn't unfold anything. And on the second day, he doesn't unfold anything. And over a period of time, I can't say he really unfolded something. Only to discover later, he takes all that and puts it into something else. And then a fresh understanding, a fresh, a fre just a fresh joy of the scriptures come. So um, just be in the habit of just reading the scriptures. Um, they, they wash our soul. Yeah. It's unlike any book I've ever read. I, I've read lots of great books. If you've been to my house, um, I'm just—I have a shortage of bookshelves right now. My wife doesn't want me to have more bookshelves because that means more books. Yeah. But I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm one of those like weird people that I think every wall in the house should be bookshelves with books on them. And I don't buy books at the yard sale just to put on the shelf. If the book's on that, on that uh, shelf, I've read it. Right? So, and yet, having read some amazing books, there's amazing writers from all different things. I try not to be just you know, focused in one thing. I, I try to read books that are, that are broad. I try to read books from people that I don't really agree with. But I, I want to find out, okay, one, does it help me in my own understanding by reading them? And I've also found that even in books where I generally don't hold to the same view as the author, there's still things that are there that are good. And, and I find it valuable. So I, I, don't, I don't want to be one of those people that my whole input of information is only what agrees with me. Because at that point, I stand a great chance of really being wrong. 
because I need the disagreement to help me in my own understanding and to grow. So that was an advertisement for your public library. So the other thing with the scriptures as we're, as we're studying through, and this is again, um, I think an issue that in Western culture, we, we probably struggle with it more than some other, uh, some other cultures. The, if I'm going to read the scriptures, if I'm going to read the story, then, of course, if I'm going to do a good exegesis of something, then I need to know who wrote it, why did they wrote it, and what's the historical context of why they wrote it. It, it bothers me when we, we take the scriptures and we make them American. It bothers me when we take the scriptures and we totally lift them out of the context that the writer was expressing and we bring them into our culture and our time and then try to make, you know, then at that point I'm making the Bible say what I want it to say instead of reading it and hearing what it's saying. And then now that I'm hearing what it's saying, how does that impact my life? So through, you know, throughout the scriptures, there's all kinds of stories that are given. They will impact us as the Holy Spirit brings understanding. But it's, it's wrong for me to take it out of context, take it away from the writer, and then bring it into my context, and then I become the writer. Um, that's not how we should be doing it. So when we read the Christmas story, when we read through Luke, when we, and all that's unfolding and what I'm going to talk about even this morning, we have to look at it from the Jewish perspective. It wasn't happening in this century. It was happening to over 2,000 years ago in a whole different culture that thought different than us, that looked different than us, that had different aspirations than us. And if I try to suck all that into right now and try to make the story some kind of contemporary thing to me, again, I'm, that's not what the scriptures are saying. So what I'm going to do today is take us... Uh, I'm, I'm going to try to be brief. I'm still, I'm still working on getting that one-sentence sermon that leaves everybody going, whoa. I haven't got there yet. I haven't even got to the one paragraph sermon yet. So, but I, I, I'm, de I'm determined. I'm determined to make that happen. So when we, when we come, when we step into the narrative of the coming of Messiah, when we step into the narrative of the society of that day, to be Jewish from really from uh, Exodus 12 on, to be a Jew, I lived in the world of the Exodus. The Exodus is what I carried in my heart. It's, it's the supreme story of what it means to be a Jew, is the Exodus. So every year at Passover, we celebrate the Seder. We sit at the table. We tell the story. Every year, my heart is, is filled with this story and the expectation that somewhere, somehow, in the midst of all this stuff, God is going to make it right. 
and I'm not invisible to him. And he is a deliverer, and he is a good God, and he is coming. And yet there is the, he is here, and he is not yet fully here. And I'm living in that tension of when will Messiah come? How will, what, will, what will it look like when he comes? So in the time that, that Jesus was born, the nation of Israel was just ripe with speculation as to the coming of Messiah. You know, we go, well, you know, why did, why did God come then? I mean, why, why did he do it then? Why didn't he do, could he have done it 100 years earlier? Could he have done it 1,000 years later? Why did he pick this time to do it? It's because he was on time. He was building the narrative of the Exodus throughout the Old Testament. They were living in that narrative. Now, to be, um, you know, so, so every year we, we celebrate the Passover. We also, sell, well, we don't celebrate this so much as a Jew, but we talk about it a lot. We also know that as a people, God has been our deliverer. And yet we have pulled away from him. God has loved us and we've rejected him. God has given us Torah as to how we should live and and the invitation to come in Torah and to live with him and function in all the the splendor that that he wants. And we've rejected that. We've taken on other gods. We've, We've become an idolatrous people. And we know in our history that there's been times when God has been close and then we rejected him, and then we've gone through seasons where God has been felt like he had left, he, had, he was gone. So we understand as a people that our, our story is a story of bondage and oppression, hearts lifted to God in prayer, lamenting the affliction, Yahweh moving to bring a deliverer, repentance, a contrite heart, acknowledging the need for forgiveness, and the prayer for righteousness. And a deliverer would arise. And they would lead us out of the oppression that we were in. We, we can look at our history and we know that God provided the judges. And the judges helped us get out of the mess that we were in. And then we cried out and we said, well, we want a king. But we wanted a king not because we wanted God as king. We wanted a king because we wanted to be like everybody else. And even in that of rejection of God, what does he do? He gives us a couple kings to begin, you know, first we had to go through Saul, but he brings us to David. And so David, again, is a pinnacle point in our history. David was our deliverer. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that introduced us to worship, that introduced us to the joy of the covenant. David was the one that brought the Ark of the Covenant in and pulled the veil back, invited us all to come and to worship before the Ark. Because David knew that the presence of God is what we need. David understood this isn't, we're not just a religion that follows just form. But we are a people whose God is speaking to them and wants to speak to them and has invited us to speak back to him. There's no other God like that. All other gods just require my servanthood. This one actually comes and talks. So we understand in our history that we are a people that have been up and down with our God. The amazing thing is he's still with us. 
He hasn't left us. He hasn't abandoned us. His promises are yes and amen, even in those places where my rebellion has separated me and kept all the goodness of God that was intended for me. It created a barrier that it couldn't come, even in those times, even in the times when God said, I divorce you, I'm, I, I can no longer deal with this. And then he turns around and says, come back. Come back. So now we're at this place where we, we've, we've, lived, we've lived through our early history, King David being another pinnacle. Solomon was good. David was the pinnacle. And then it kind of all went downhill again from there. We divided the kingdom. We couldn't get along. We we're fighting each other. You know, all the things that are taking place. And then we find ourselves in captivity in Babylon. And so we spend time there. And we're again crying out, where is the deliverer? Where is the deliverer? And in that season, and this is why I say it was on time, in that season, God through the prophet Daniel began to speak to us. And in Daniel, there was a timeline that was established saying, for this amount of time, you're going to be in bondage. And at the same time, he gives, we're given the picture of the, the nations with Babylon being the highest and it deteriorating down to finally we're where we are now with the Roman Empire being the least of the, the statue that was seen. So now we're at this place where when we look to the scriptures, we see that the, the years that Daniel spoke of, those years have been, are coming to an end. That means Messiah is coming. That means finally our bondage is going to be over. And the Exodus story is so intertwined in the birth of Jesus because it is the Exodus story. The thing that changes, which is, to me is so amazing and so glorious, and when you look through the Old Testament, I know in today's deconstruction stuff, the New Testament gets a bad rap. All I'm trying to say is just read it correctly. Let it talk to you instead of you telling it what it is. The Bible will always explain itself. It doesn't need another book to explain it. Just stop making it say what it's not saying, and then it starts to make sense. So we're at this place now where, where we know the time is, is it's approaching. We, don't, we haven't figured it out down to the, the year and the month yet, but I think we're close. I think we're close. I think the days are passing, and, and soon Messiah is going to come. Now, through the years of the Deliverer, the picture that the Jews had developed of Messiah was it's a human being. He comes in, he's going to raise up an army, he's going to do whatever he needs to do to expel the oppressors off the land so that the land of Israel can be free again and can be a place where God's glory can have habitation. And, and he's, he'll, he's used this one and he's used that one and he's used the other one. So in our thinking, our expectation is when Messiah comes, Messiah is going to be again a strong warrior. Someone that's going to come in with the army, and he's going to kick butt. And he's going to drive a bunch of people out and clear the land. And now we'll finally be back to a place 
where Israel, the land, is free and we can celebrate on the land. And, and all the promises of God, all that we sing about and have talked about over the millennia, it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. It's going to happen. And it's, it was, they felt it. There was something they felt in their, in their being that this is, this is close. You know what it is. We, most of us, probably if not all of us in this room, have had those places where something is happening and you just feel something. You can't, you can't define it. You, can't, you try to describe it to somebody else and it gets all messed up. It's like, I, I, I can't talk about it, but I just know. I know something, something is in the atmosphere. And something's going to happen, but I don't know all when and, and all that. That's where they were at. And, the, and what they were waiting for was, where is the man going to arrive? I mean, in you know, post-Babylon uh, captivity, into this whole second temple Israel, um, you know, the Maccabees had come along. We thought maybe they would do it. You know, there was a strong push. You know, there was, at the time that Jesus was born, there were multiple zealot groups. Jesus picked one of, out of one of those groups to pull a disciple. But there were multiple zealot groups that wanted to throw the oppressors off. Violence was the way to do it. And, you know, we can't, we can't fight Rome as an army because we don't have an army. But we can be subversive. We can just be, you know, we can be a pain in the neck. And if we keep doing that, maybe Rome will finally go, this bunch of Jews, that piece of dirt down there, that sand, it ain't worth it. We're out of here. You guys fend for yourselves. Maybe we can do it that way. So there was all this speculation. But there was the feeling that Messiah is coming. And then God does something that nobody was expecting. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem. This is Luke 2, starting with verse 25. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. He was waiting for the consolation. It was in the air. They were feeling it. When they went to temple, something was feeling. We felt something at temple today. I don't know what it was. But when I left, I had an expectation. There was something of hope that, that was in me that I didn't have before, but I can't explain it. So he was in temple waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Yeah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, you are now letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He's only holding a baby, just another little human being. I mean, he's cute, but don't look like a deliverer. I need to deliver my nose. (laughs) 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, and you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the nations. This is what's changed. This is what God has spoken about throughout the whole Old Testament. There's multiple, multiple, multiple verses where God includes the nations. He includes the Gentiles. He loved Israel. Israel was a special, unique place for God to have habitation. But Israel is not the whole picture. The world was the whole picture. He created the whole world. He said it was good at creation. He was after reconciling the whole world. He had given the Jews the opportunity to be the the God imagers. They had had the invitation after they came out of the first exodus. They had the invitation at Sinai. And they said, "Uh, no, no. That's a little too close. We'll let Moses do that piece, and then whatever he tells us to do, we'll do it. And, of course, God's like, I don't think it's going to work out. And they're like, no, no, of course it is. You know, I mean, look at us. I mean, let's not get talk about the calf, but, but beyond that, just look at us. We're, we're, we're on top of this thing. This is going to be good. And God's like, I, I, I don't think this is going to work out. But all along, God's intent was the nations. It's the nations. In the, in the, in the messianic verse where the Father says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. And, of course, Jesus asked and he received. And that is still happening, which is why the kingdom of God is advancing. God is not slack in his promises. And he will fulfill them, and he'll fulfill them in the right time. And he'll fulfill them when we have the capacity to hold them. I'm an impatient person. I want it, and I want it now, because there's other things I want to do, and I just need to get this off my list. And God's like, there ain't no way I can give you that now. You would get it, and it would slip through your fingers because you don't have the capacity yet. But let me work on the capacity because my promise is true. It's your maturity that needs to come up to it, and then the promise will be there. So, um, now where were we at now? Oh, the Gentiles, the Gentiles. So here, we, this is where everything changes, and when we get into the day of Pentecost, when we get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and even the gifts of the Spirit, this we have to keep in mind, This and I will help us do that, because I'm going to remind us of this on a regular basis. But here, as Simeon says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and for glory to your people Israel. In this, God is, is wrapping it up, or as I have said multiple times, In N.T. Wright's verbiage, this day, the revolution has begun. But it doesn't begin with a mighty warrior, you know, on a a steed and well-equipped. It begins with a baby, another human being. But the light is to the nations. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child 
is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your soul also so so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Man, what is he saying? I mean, the power in that statement, this baby, this baby is now going to be the the rise and the fall of many in Israel, and hearts are going to be revealed. And then what do we watch in the Gospels, that very thing? All the way from Herod down to a beggar. He's revealing the hearts. The religious hearts and the political hearts. Because there's a day later appointed where he stands next to Pilate and says, you think, you know, you have all this power to take my life? I'm just telling you, you can't take it. I can give it, but you can't take it. And even there in the political systems, it was to reveal the hearts. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. And she was advanced in years and having lived with her husband seven years for when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were wanting the redemption of Israel. So again, Mary and Joseph are going into the temple just for the dedication of Jesus, as was called for by Torah. And what they run into is a prophetic whirlwind of two people who had carried a hope in their heart, waiting for the fullness And somehow knowing when these parents walked in holding this baby, as I said last week, I'm pretty sure that he didn't have like rays of light shooting out of his head and going in all directions. So you would go, well, of course that has to be Messiah. Nobody else has a headdress like that. He just looked like a baby. And yet when they saw him, they knew. We carry promises in our heart. Sometimes we die to those promises a thousand times. But there's that moment where you look and you know. This is it. And most of the promises of God, at least I found in my own life, when they arrive and the fulfillment starts to come, it never is the way I thought it was going to be. It's a whole different comes from a whole different way. But here is Anna and here is Simeon, and they're declaring what Yahweh himself is about to do. So from the garden, through our history, to the now the coming of Messiah, the garden is being reestablished. Because God never said... I'm done with it. He just said, this group of human beings down here, it's going to take a while to work it out with them. They, they just don't catch it. I, even though I made them just a little bit lower than the Elohim, sometimes they don't act very bright. 
So I'm, but I'm going to work with them because I love them. And in love, what I'm doing is giving the invitation for them to love me back. And I'm going to continue to pour my love in until their love becomes, has the ability to come back. So finally, in John 1, starting with verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus is in the essence of all that we are. And you can't take him out of the essence. Jesus is in all of us, whether we acknowledge it or not. And you can't take him out of any one of us. I can reject him, but his essence is still in me. His invitation is still there. He is still at work to call the the piece of light that's in each one of us, to call that light into an expression where we now come into relationship with him. In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I don't care what the media says. They don't have the last word. He has the last word. And darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light, and that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, has come into the world. Again, he's given light to everyone. It's to the nations. This, this thing that's unfolding is, is for the nations. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came, into, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Yes. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from God, full of grace and truth. All God's dealings with Israel up until this point had been through either the instrument of of a priest, a prophet, or a king. And he, he, he worked with each of those throughout. But at this point, he changed and did it differently and said, I'm coming in the flesh. This time, I'm inhabiting flesh and blood. And I will defeat sin and death in my flesh. And even there, I mean, now, now we're almost to an Easter story. But, but even there, God did not do it the way they thought he should do it 
Everything about Christ's death was an antithesis to how Rome would have looked at his life, and nobody would have believed in anybody as weak as the Jesus guy. I mean, he never did raise an army. He never did get any political win behind him. And ultimately, we killed him on a cross. So he, he was just a weakling all along. Why would, why would you follow a weakling? We follow strong. Gods are strong. Kings are strong. This Jesus dude, man, he was anemic. Because what God was doing was not defeating the powers of darkness by the rules of engagement of the powers of darkness. He defeated sin and death by the power of love, by the power of self-sacrifice, by giving his life, knowing that when the seed is sown, it's going to rise and the Father is going to bring life. And that life will continue to go and to leaven until it's leavened the whole earth, until the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. So it's not just a baby being born and a couple people being on the inside of that story. It is Yahweh coming to begin to set right everything that has been broken, knowing that in us, we inherently break things. I love the way Paul says, you know, we even, you know, again, Sometimes you start talking about the law, and people are like, wow, you know, the law it's done away with. And, and we, we almost paint the law as it's this, um, it was this inferior kind of bad thing that God kind of put on them because he didn't know what else to do with them. When in fact, Torah, that's the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. It's not just the Ten Commandments. They're in, they're in that. But Torah is the first five books. Torah is the invitation to come. And the instruction that to live life in a particular way opens our hearts to him and makes a way for him to come and have habitation with us. So even there, we're, uh, the, the coming of the son of Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He didn't fulfill it because it needed to be like pushed away. He fulfilled it because he is the expressed image of what the law was speaking of. He's the way that we come to the Father. He's the way that we step away from, from sin and death and are brought into resurrection, into righteousness. It's him. It's through him. It's always been through him. It's always been what God wanted. Jesus is not plan B. There's always been one plan. There's still one plan, and that plan is being accomplished in you and I today and tomorrow and next week and as long as we're breathing. And as I said last week, at a certain point, when I stop breathing, I just become part of the cloud of witnesses. So when Jesus returns in the clouds, that's because we're all around him. It's kind of in us. We're in him. But, you know, when Jesus, when Jesus returns in the clouds... Don't picture like a cumulus cloud. Picture those that have gone on before. That's the cloud. 
when Jesus steps back on the earth, he's not coming to blow it up. He's not coming to, to kill everybody. He's coming in redemption, and he's bringing with him the host of heaven, those of us that have already gone on. He's bringing us with him to be the God imagers on the earth. And what does it say? Those that are alive at the time that Jesus steps foot on the earth, those of us that are alive at that time, that will be changed in a, in a moment, in a twinkling of eye, will be changed. To what? We'll just, we're going to look like the, other, the cloud that's already showed up. I all of a sudden shed this mortal frame, and I put on an immortal frame, and now I'm still going to keep doing what I've been called to do, except I'm better equipped. And Jesus sets it right. And as I said last week, when the kingdom comes, now and when Jesus returns, when the kingdom comes, justice is how it's seen. Because every place where injustice now is will be destroyed. Because it has no place in the kingdom. So, Merry Christmas. Get excited about Jesus. Because he's excited about you. So, um, I, I had an anticlimactic ending last week when I put up the video. It was, it was good. I gave us some culture. But it wasn't really the video that I had intended to put up. So this week, I have the video I intended to put up. And I actually emailed it to myself twice this morning and watched it twice to make sure I had the right, the right one. If the wrong one pops up today, I'm just leaving. And when I walk out the door, you know it was the wrong one. But I, I, I just, this, it's, this is, um, this guy just, I don't know. This, this, this particular carol has messed me up more than once. So enjoy it. Feel free to participate in whatever you think you should stand up or just, just enjoy it. Oh, we'll do communion right after the video. And glorious Lord. 
for today, and I've been messed up every one. I did. I did. So let's, let's close and come in. Let's hand out the elements. Let's do it that way. I have a couple people. So as we take communion today, you know, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let us remember the glory that has come. 
Let us remember the work that has been accomplished, that God came in the flesh and now dwells in everyone that calls him Lord. He comes and he has habitation with us. He invites us into the realm of himself. We are that place where as we pray, as we live, as we discover things that, about the Lord, we live in the constant realm of our Father who dwells in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. To be a believer in Jesus the Christ is to step into a heaven and earth relationship continually with the creator where he is revealing himself. Heaven being revealed on the earth. In you, in me, in those that we interact with Every time we love, heaven is invading the earth. And those places where love gets a foothold, things change. And they don't go back. So we, we walk not as soldiers who carry earthly weapons and use violence as the way to advance our will, our plans, our purposes. We are agents of the kingdom, walking in love, giving love away. I love in that, that piece in, the, uh, in that hymn where it says, truly, he's taught us to, li- to love one another because the slave has become my brother. You realize how radical Christianity was when it stepped on the scene and all of a sudden the slave was now equal to the master. Tucked away in the New Testament, there's that little book, Philemon or Philemon, however you want to say it. It's only... You know, when I first got saved, that was one of the first books I read because then I could say, I've read a whole book of the Bible. <laughs> I did all the little books first, Old and New Testament. Because then, I mean, I was rack, racking up points because the goal was, you know, you had to read the whole Bible. So, yeah, so you start with the, you know, it's, it's the snowball effect. But even there, so here's this little letter about Paul writing to someone who owns a slave who has been uh, a companion to Paul and a great help to Paul. And here he is reminding the owner that it's time to let him go. You know, it's Christianity. It's, it's you know, yeah, we've, we've had our, we've messed up some stuff. So let's own that. But far more, the planet is a better planet because the kingdom of God is active, and it's active through us. 
And on any given day around this planet, amazing things are being done by people only heaven knows their name that are affecting the lives of many, many other people. Let's stand. Lord, I thank you for this gathering today. I thank you, Lord, for the joy of being together, the joy of community. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in our midst and that your presence is at work in each of us. So today, as we celebrate the Advent, as we celebrate the Word becoming flesh, Lord, we receive the bread as your body, knowing that it was broken, but that in the breaking of your body, the body of Christ was being launched and is moving in unity. And Lord, as we take of the cup, your blood speaks of the New Testament. The mercy seat of the Old Testament, the blood that was sprinkled on it, spoke of promises yet to come. Your blood speaks of promises fulfilled. Thank you. Thank you that you were faithful to do all that you were asked to do. And so now we receive the bread and the blood in celebration of you, Lord Jesus. So I just bless you in this season, you know, as we take, prepare for the, the next couple of days spending with family and, and uh, friends and all that's going to take place. I bless you in his presence. I bless you in his love. I bless you that in that he has placed himself in you and he's placed you in himself. That in each of us the word has become flesh again. Now, and that now we are children of God, light bearers, the people of the resurrection. Lord, we give you glory. Holy Spirit, wash over us, and may as we leave, may we leave in peace, and may your blessings continue to flow to us and through us for your glory.